Hello, it's Tuesday, the 23rd of January in the year of our law, 2023. Children First is back. I'm here, as always, with my beautiful co-host, Miss Catherine Watkins. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. We uploaded the slip mapped show yesterday. That got a nice lot of um, people enjoyed that. So we're going to be doing something a bit heavier today, aren't we? Mm-hmm. But something that needs to be addressed. So I've been focusing so much on an America and what's what's going on. We've been focusing so much on what's going on in schools. Well, today we think we need to have a look at what is going on in the world of the social care system, especially social workers and getting these social services involved in family lives. And there's no other, no better person to talk about this than the one and only Mr. Brian, Lieutenant, former Lieutenant Commander Brian Gerridge. Hello. Hello, Lou. You're right. I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I'll just say for for anybody listening, I'm a little bit on the croaky side, having succumbed to some form of man flu last couple of weeks, but I am here with you, which is good. It is good. And thank you so much for coming on. But we, we need to tackle this thing with what's going on in social services, Brian, because you've been on this feet for over a decade now. I remember when I would come into the column, I'd read some of some of the letters that would come through to the column about social services turning up in people's lives and people not able to get rid of them. They're nosing about in their lives. Children's being taken. I specifically remember Paul Roberts, who had they had set up a camera in the house. Social services came through the door. The social workers weren't anyone they, they recognised. They had the police in there. And they basically ripped a baby off a, off a new mum's breast. So we have been, you have been highlighting, and the UK column have been highlighting the problems with social services, how they go in. You know, they go in for, for, for really no reason half of the time. Um, and it looks like it's still going on. I mean, Catherine, you mentioned a couple of um, issues that you've read up about um in regards to social services going nuts do you just want to discuss yeah, yeah. We can talk about- well I'm actually reading this book and I would suggest anyone buy this because I have read I don't know how many vaccine books over the years including all the studies and whatever right but this one it's called sorry just grabbing it it's called vaccination policy and the UK government the untold truth written by research journalist Christina England and Luci Jar sorry for my pronunciation, Tom Legenovic, PhD, right? And I knew quite a bit of this anyway, but uh, but I didn't realise the scale that social services are becoming involved um, in people's lives over vaccine cover-up. This is, this is huge. This is absolutely massive. So, you know, what's happening, Munchausen's by proxy, so I've been looking into this quite a bit lately, right, and I've realised the connection to social services here. Now, I'm not suggesting that that condition doesn't exist. There are, unfortunately, people out there who do, you know, sort of make issues up with their children and, you know, sort of let them have unnecessary medication or surgery or whatever, right? Okay, but it's very, very rare. So what they did was brought in that term, Munchausen's by proxy, and they did like bullet points um, to say, you know, the, the signs, the symptoms of if, a, if a, you know, somebody's suffering with it. So what they were doing when parents were coming in with issues with their children and their infants, you know, this was back in the 80s and 90s initially with um, 
autism traits mostly the doctors were basically accusing the parent of abuse and munchausen's by proxy and social services were getting involved now this was happening in cases of sids as well sudden infant death syndrome which i know is caused by vaccination anyway but i didn't realize this is what they were doing back then so there were about seven or eight cases um, with a doctor, a specific doctor who was involved in these cases. And he was just a paediatrician, but they were using him as an expert witness in these cases when these babies were dying. And he was basically saying there's, you know, 70, there was a one, one uh, woman, one lady who lost, and this is heartbreaking, no one but two children to sudden infant death syndrome post-vaccination. Um, now, in her trial, he said it was a 73 million to one chance that both of those children and died from natural causes which is what they call um SIDS and they put they put her in prison so they convicted about seven people well later on they basically opened reopened the cases and specialists you know bone specialists and blood specialists and everything would go and vaccine specialists were going in and saying actually you know these were caused by this and the convictions were overturned but it's too late those children have died so what they were actually doing is using that saying that the mother, you know, was making up these symptoms and then if they, if the baby managed to survive and then taking the baby, if the baby died, they were putting them in prison. And this is how deep it goes because, you know, if we consider how many, all right, people are waking up to vaccination now, but, you know, if you think how many people are still allowing their children to have these vaccines, can you imagine the scale this is happening? And when it does happen and they do realise that it's medical during some sort of trial, they gagged. So this is why people don't know about it, but it's going to be widespread because vaccination is widespread and there's more but, vaccines in the schedule now than there was in the 90s. But then if they if they uh, refuse and say they don't want to vaccinate their children, they've got social services on them anyway. Exactly. Especially if they've already been in the care of social services. As we know, this is a, you know, they take children for a few, if, if the mother has been in the services at all, um, you know, they sort of go for emotional and future risk, don't they? And that's why they take newborn babies. So they start on one, and that's why it's, it's when you think how many people have been had social services involved now, all of these people are at risk of them having them involved when they have children, basically. Brian, your thoughts on this, because it's it is a money making scheme as well, isn't it? Councils, money, councils do get money for yeah. taking kids off a family. So what are your thoughts on Kat's story? Well, well, it it just takes me back, really, because the moment you talk about um, Munchausen by proxy, it it brings a lady called Linda into my head, and Linda was um, she was probably about the first mum that came to see me in Plymouth, and um, she'd agreed to come down from South Wales. She arrived in my little office at the time with a big wheelie suitcase, which was full of court documents. And then she told me the story of how her daughter, I think the girl was about 10 at the time. Um, I'm, I can use the name Bonnie for that little girl. But that um, girl had been taken because Bonnie had been unwell. Um, the mother had gone to the GP and ultimately gone through the hospital system um, trying to get a diagnosis. And the little girl was increasingly in pain to the extent that she couldn't go to school. And when she couldn't go to school, eventually social services got involved and the little girl ended up on a cocktail of drugs and uh, was still in a lot of pain. And eventually the mum took her to 
um, Florida to to America to get a diagnosis in a, a children's specialist hospital. She did get the diagnosis, but while the she was there and the little girl was about to be released, actually, the police turned up, the American police turned up with Neath Port Talbot Social Services, and they took the little girl, they flew her back to UK, and they um, put her in a psychiatric unit where initially they told her that her pain was imaginary. Now, the mum had got a diagnosis, and that little girl had got Zollinger's disease, which is multiple ulceration of the gut, very painful. And even when the mother was able to produce the correct diagnosis for the daughter, um, that little girl was never given back to her mum. And during the, the bulk of that case, Linda was being accused of Munchausen by proxy. And wow. just a terrible story because Linda met her daughter on the streets when I think the girl was about 16. And uh, the girl just looked horrified and said, uh, Mum, you mustn't come near me. They'll know. They'll know. Oh, and gosh. that was that was one of the major cases that I came across. And and I have to say, I looked at, was able to spend the best part of a week looking at those documents with Mum. And what she said was absolutely correct, including a family court judge saying that at the time the girl was taken to America, the mother was perfectly entitled to do so. She didn't break any um, protection orders or at all. No. But the worst thing was that when the mother had fought and obtained the correct medical diagnosis, uh, Neath Port Talbot Social Services never gave that girl back. Wow, this is what I mean. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And it's actually, when I say it's the most important book I've read, it's because it's the most relative, right? It, it really is happening at an unimaginable scale. And um, people really do need to know about it. And like stories like that, I, I had a couple of these. Not that I dealt with any of them, but obviously when I've been looking through them and, we, and there's cases in this book too, honestly, I really highly recommend it for because... <clears throat> You know, low vitamin D levels can cause brittle bone, you know, so then they then they misdiagnose it, things like that as shaken baby syndrome. Um, you know, these things are complex and they need to be looked at. And what's going on in social services? They're just going straight in for the kill, regardless of any medical investigation. And this is destroy, as we know, destroying families. Just to hear you say that that little girl, you know, was horrified when she saw him and please don't come. You know, what are they saying to her? Well, you know? I got... Uh, Catherine, I can help you out on that one because um, what uh, the, the tactic being used then, and I've heard about this in other cases, is that the child is told that uh, your mother, your mother wants to kill you, and will then commit suicide. What? And oh um, this is this is really horrible stuff that is going on in order to split families apart. Actually, um, Louise, I didn't answer your question because you asked about money, and I, I just very quickly. I want to get there, and then there's some other stuff I want to just follow yeah, on. Well, in in all the over the years when these cases have come to me, and I've talked to mainly mums, but mums and dads, and sometimes dads on their own, um, you quickly come to understand the fact that the moment the state can touch the child money starts to change hands because local authorities are getting money for children placed into care. The people caring for the children are getting money. 
and particularly if the children have got special needs or multiple special needs, they can be earning several thousand pounds a week for care of the children. And some of these special carers, I'll put inverted commas around that, are caring for maybe two or three children in one household at several thousand pounds a week for each one. Then we've got all the professional fees. So the psychologists that come on board in the court case or the clinical psychologists or the psychiatrists or the therapists um, or Kafka's officials, they're all making money off the children. And then, of course, the worst of it is, is that if the children are, are then taken into a care, the care system, yeah. um, we know that many of them are then trafficked out of that system for abuse where more money changes hands. It's just yeah. a vicious circle. It's a total vicious circle. What I want to bring up is it's always Wales. There is something yeah. going on back i remember when you got banned from swansea and got met i think i just started hadn't been with you long i don't think it was probably 20 what 2011 2010 and you were looking at the suicides that were going on in bridge end you started making connection we made all of these connections we found that little church that was doing the the really weird satanic plays and you know i tried to find that flyer and that picture you need to send that to me again, Brian, because I can't find that anywhere anymore. That's just wiped from the from the web with what was going on in all these little pop-up churches that were turning up in the valleys and around Wales. It's always Wales. And I've said this yeah. to you, Kat. Yeah. It's, you guys are the testing. I don't know. You know, this yeah, left agenda, the, the, the wokeness, the progressiveness. So, Brian. Everything is tested, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to just go back, Brian, to those days with regards to the amount of suicides of young people that were going on around the Bridge End area. Can we just, I know it's old history, but it's so relevant today. Can we just go over what happened back then and how come you ended up being banned from Swansea? Well, um, I, I was paying attention to the, they were then being labelled under the Bridge End suicides. And I was um, intrigued with the stories because obviously it's intensely sad when youngsters are committing suicide. But of course, there were very unusual linkages in many of the cases. So somebody, one of the children in a family was committing suicide and then maybe a few weeks or a couple of months later, another one of the children in the family would commit suicide. And sometimes that um, suicide linkage went sideways so um, the friend of one of the children who'd committed suicide would commit would also commit suicide and I I know it's it's a dark subject but I just looked at it and I thought this is incredible sorry a little bit of noise in the background um, and I also realized that uh, the printed stories in the press didn't really seem to say very much and I started research myself and uh, I w was able to talk to some members of the families and they were very distressed because they didn't have any closure. Um, some of them had lost two children from suicide and they didn't know why. And they also said that, you know, there was a reluctance of people to to speak. 
And I, I'd started research. And one of the things that I was interested in was um, who was coming into contact with school children in South Wales. Uh, because at that time, I was particularly interested in people who were using um, neurolinguistics, which is actually a form of hypnosis. People who are trained in uh, neurolinguistic programming can get very defensive if, if you say this, but it's absolutely true. It is a form of hypnosis by which, um, through the manipulation of language, you can put ideas and concepts in people's heads, and they won't necessarily know that this has been done to them. And I'll just add very quickly, if anybody doubts what I'm talking about, um, you should have a look at a government document, which is called Mindspace, M-I-N-D-S-P-A-C-E. You can find it online as a PDF. This is a cabinet office document in which the government boasts that its behavioural insights team, its behavioural change team, can change the way people think and people will not necessarily know that this has been done to them or if it has been done, they won't necessarily know how their belief system's been changed. Now, these techniques were being used on children. Indeed, they still are. Um, but I was intrigued to find charities in South Wales using these techniques and the reason I specifically mention it is that when you talk to experts in this field, they say the problem with these techniques is that when you mess around with somebody's mind, especially a very um, open inquiring mind, a child's mind, you have no real idea what you're doing to them. So you you can let's say you give them something which you perceive to be a boost. You're going to help them with their self-confidence or you're going to help them make friends. This all sounds very good. But what you don't know is what you do in that child's head can interfere with other personality traits. Maybe they've got an underlying susceptibility to depression and your applied behavioral um, programming can actually cause those children problems. And what I saw was that there were a number of organisations, some I didn't get a warm feeling about, but they were going into schools in South Wales and doing a variety of training. And in my opinion, they were using um, applied linguistics. So I'd been working on this, but eventually a um, family member asked me whether I'd come and give a talk. And I said I was happy to do that, but on the basis that it was made perfectly plain, uh, I was simply a lay person, a member of the public. I didn't have any particular expertise, but I believed that I'd got some important things to point out. And so um, a talk was arranged in a venue in Swansea, and um, I, I was to turn up to find there was a demonstration against me speaking. I was apparently anti-Islamic and homophobic and a few other things. Um, but this protest had been arranged with a combination of the local students' union and the local Labour Party. And I'm going to say I've always felt that somewhere in the background, Madeleine Moon MP was there. 
Um, I'm not saying she was there at the protest. I just have a suspicion that she had a finger in the pie. Um, uh, the police were called. Uh, I did eventually get to speak, but some of the parents who were going to attend were frightened off. So I ended up with a very small audience and I gave my talk and I had a very good response from the parents there. Um, but this is the first ever talk, still the first ever talk I've done where there's been a protest. And it was interesting for me that the protest to stop me talking about these suicides was connected with the Labour Party because it was Madeleine Moon who'd been talking to um, local newspapers. In fact, she worked with um, other people to try and get the local newspapers to stop talking and asking about the suicides and asking questions about suicide because she she and others said, oh, well, the trouble is if you do this, you encourage copycat suicides. But the reality was that I'm going to say several of the local papers in, in South Wales were also beginning to understand that there were some very strange things connecting the um, suicides. And I'm going to say here, this is this is one of these subjects where we have to say to people, you know, if this is not for you, you should stop listening. Yeah, um, I will put, I will put, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a warning on it. Yeah, I yeah. will. Um, but one of the things that was pointed out to me was that there was a sort of reversal in the um, means of committing suicide. So um, one of the the things that's known is that males will tell will, will tend to hang themselves, and girls will tend to take an overdose. Um, but in the South Wales um, events, this was being reversed in some cases at least. So there was this very weird linkage between children and families and between families and friends, but also there was weird stuff in the nature of the suicide itself. And it wasn't five, six, seven children. Uh, this went on and on, eventually when the media wasn't reporting it at all. And I don't know what the, f the final tally was, but I know that you're talking a substantial number of, of children. I, I'm going to say 20 plus, but it could be a lot more than this because it went on for a long time. Did I remember and, doing a bit. Sorry, go on. Well, I just finished by saying, and the key thing was that this was happening in a cluster. So mm. it was in a very localised, relatively localised geographic area. I then discovered that around the same time frame, there had been other suicide clusters occurring in other parts of the UK, but these were barely reported in the press. Now, I can remember doing some research on this, and we found that a local kind of amateur dramatics filmmaking for little ones, they got a lottery grant for that part of Wales. Do you remember this? And then we started going and having a look, and we looked at the videos... Yes, that, and they were extremely dark. They theater. were on suicide involving little kids who want, you know, it was like, these are little kids and they're going to make a film, you know, like you do. They're like playing. It, that's how it seemed, that they were playing, making a film, okay? These are young kids, but it was all about suicide. There were other people who were making cartoons and there was the dog hanging itself, wasn't there? Yes. Um, 
all of these and this was a amateur it was a film company or something in wales and around that time they were going into schools encouraging filmmaking in these schools and then when we had to look at the types of films they were were making it was all linked to suicide and then you had the very weird churches pop up didn't you we had reports and then we got some video clips yes wow talk, us, talk about that church listen to about this church cat because this was somewhere a very rural um a very rural church in the valleys wasn't it brian um, yes, you you we're going back a long time here. I know we are, as, but as, it's relevant. As you're talking, I'm I'm re remembering more about it. Um, I, it was I the can't... amateur dramatics um, association that was going on in this little church, yeah. and if you remember, there was a flyer that went around the village, and it was a, a boy standing in front of this church, and he'd had his face chalked out. Yes, he was wearing a dunce's head hat and i think his private parts there was chalked out as well and this was promoting this thing that was going on in a church in wales yes you're absolutely correct and and i have not um i haven't had any of that um the reports we did on that out for a very long time and i'm actually wondering whether um this this conversation is prompting me as to whether we could get some of that out again. Do you yeah, know what, I, Brian? And just to, just to interrupt you there, I was going to ask you, because I do remember about the, the Bridge End uh, suicide, right? But I never did any research on it. So I was just going to ask you, either of you, um, you know, could you point me in the right direction? Because I am going to look into this. Well, yeah, the, um, best, it, the best thing, we did quite a few shows on it and I've got archived shows of it. Yeah, and anything like that will do. I cannot find because we had the flyer. We had the flyer and I've gone through my computers. I've gone through old hard drives where I've done backups of old laptops. I cannot find that image anywhere. And we used it a few times on the column, Brian. We we, we put it up a few times to say what mm -hmm. is going on. I mean, you've got grown men dressed as little girl babies being pushed. I mean, it was an absolutely... It was a satanic play. It was, I mean, you now look at it and it's it's quite clear, you know, it's all progressive little baby, grown men in in um, prams dressed as babies yes, with yes. mouth. And wow. then there was somebody standing and pinned up, I think, on a five-pointed star pentagram at the side. It was it's very so dark. satanic. We had all the images and that's, I don't think this is something that I don't know why it's all come into my radar now or why I'm bringing it all up now, but there's obviously a reason for that. And I do think this needs again to be looked into because again, it's Wales. Yeah. Yeah. And I only found my connection to that it was irrelevant. It wasn't even relevant to this. The reason I knew is because when I was looking, they'd already run universal credit as a thingy in South Wales anyway, but I was doing a lot of research before COVID on glyphosate right and i read this like global report on there so bearing in mind worldwide right and on the very front page or the first page as you open it up and it was quite a long document it's quite a, a good document they were saying about levels where it sprayed the highest and blind of went which is one of the most impoverished areas in south wales was one of the highest in the world and i was thinking why and then i made the connection to blind 
ethnic went because I know it's an impoverished area and I was thinking why are they testing on us and then all the ideology stuff the woke stuff then that and I was thinking it is white whales is a test and there's something really dodgy about it yeah a lot of stuff goes through Wales a hell yeah. of a lot of stuff goes through Wales but these you know we I, I will if Brian can find me the images of that play that we'll oh. have... if, if you go into the chat box I've just sent you something Oh, oh brilliant. Just quickly, this is just, just for just, you know, reference here. Where I live, the small town I live in, over the years, we've had Prince Charles year, Jimmy Savile year, Boris Johnson was year during COVID. He was five minutes up the road in the local stadium. I'm like, why are these people coming to a little, little towns in South Wales? Where, do you know what I mean? Dodgy people coming in, like, strange, isn't it? There's nothing new, you know, it's no, there's no... But they gotta be. There's there's some re there's something going on where I live. I know it. There's just something really dodgy about the whole thing, and it's all sort of connecting up and making sense. Kind of. Sorry to interrupt. Go on, carry on. That's it, really. That's what that's where I was going, and 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 how dark it is in Wales, and how it is like the testing centre. So, so what else is going on, Brian, in the world? Um. Well, my goodness, the world's gone mad, hasn't it? Gone really? absolutely crazy. But let's talk. I'm yeah. talking about here. Let's talk because I'm so focused on America. I haven't really got a clue what's going on. I know that Starmer um, is is following on the Blair model by the looks of it. Yeah. Um, uh, Davos well, on. Well, not only that, of course, he, he's also um, been on record talking to the BBC saying that he prefers Davos over Westminster he can get things done at Davos um, so he, he's happy to do his business at Davos rather than doing his business through Westminster where he's fully accountable to the to the British public so I, I think the key thing going on at the moment is that we're now seeing that our own system of parliament is just pure theatre this is not where the policy decisions are being made the policy decisions are all being made in these off to the side um organizations like the world economic for world economic forum or the world health organization or g's you know the g7 g8 series this is where all the policy is being made and and that policy is then being brought back through the national system of government so I, I think we're at a point where the idea that we elect MPs and they go to Westminster and decide what's best for the country, this is just laughable. This is not what's happening. What's happening is that the policy is being enacted and that's everything from going to war in the Middle East to um, the fact you can't drive your car anymore because we can save the planet Um all of these policies are being made by these these global agencies, and then the MPs are simply rubber stamping it. Yeah, falling in line, literally falling in line of what they want. And um, I've had a few emails actually from our chat with our gutsy women, and I've had people coming back to me saying it's not going to work. People um, emailing their MPs in regards to the RSC, but there is no other option at this point in time. There is no other option. These people are representing us and I don't want people, I don't want someone representing me 
who thinks it's okay to put this agenda onto other people. So I, at the moment, cannot see another way around it rather than to highlight those people, those MPs and our representatives that are supporting this. And I don't know if you can come up with any ideas on how we do that, but at the moment, we got to work with what we've got. And unfortunately, what we've got is, is corrupt. I mean, we don't need to tell the story. We know what we've got. But I can't think of another way around it to... Um, in regards to the education and to getting this out of the schools. I don't know. I don't know what you think, because America are now starting to have the turnaround. You know, there's the that you've got loads of, you know, loads of um, governors and House representatives, etc., all going up and saying, we will ensure that our children do not get taught this. We are going to ensure this. But the thing is, we don't have anybody in this country with the balls of Trump to get behind, to rally, we have weak people in charge of this country. There is no strong figure that that we don't have that. So what the, what the hell are we going to do? Brian. Uh, well, my response, just to qualify that a bit for the for the listeners, is that your uh, one of the things that you said in, in your gutsy women interview with me was that people should be challenging their local MP on where they stand with with um, the sexual education of children in schools. And this was largely based on all the good work done by child, um, Public Child Protection Wales, warning about the graphic sexualization of young children via the SRE. Is that, that's, is that the right way around? I get it wrong sometimes. RSE. RSE, RSE yeah. Um, educa education policy and you said if if everybody just asked their local MP do you support this sexualization of children or not you you got them you pinned them down on where they stood and I th I think this is a very good idea because MPs are utter cowards they they exist and they take their money and they're very happy as long as there's no trouble on their doorstep but when you come along and ask them a simple question like this, do you agree um, with this education, which is sexualizing young children or not? And they're forced to say something. And yeah. then the moment they've said one or the other, and probably they're going to say they agree with it. That's the point you can say, well, I'm now going to work with other people to ensure that you lose your seat. And that's what starts to worry them, because at the end of the day, they're all they're all lazy people <laughs> and and the idea that somebody's going to come and take their um life income away from them that's that's a big concern so people shouldn't allow these people to get away with it they should take them on and i thought your suggestion was very good because it's such a black and white question do you support this or not that's it um so the people who say it's a waste of time no it isn't because if you talk to Andrew Bridge, an MP, who's brave enough to speak out now on a lot of things, one of the things he will say is that, yes, there are other MPs who are now waking up and they're very concerned about things, but they're all scared. They're scared because they watched the abuse that he's had and, um, you know, he's been threatened. He's you know, attempts to bribe him into changing his his direction. Um, 
uh, but also finally kicked out of the Tory party. So the other MPs see this and he says they're frightened. Well, I think you've got to come in and you've got to make them think about who they're more frightened of, the party yeah. or their constituents. Exactly. I don't, I don't mean you should be physically threatening these no, people, of course, but you of should course. be challenging them. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. They're representing you. They are your voice. They are yeah. your voice and your decisions. You know, and it's going to, you, you've got to, you've got to call them out. You've yeah. got to call them out. I mean, lo locally here, we, we've, we've, well, my local MP is Gary Streeter and Gary Streeter is supposed to be a devout Christian. He's connected, I think, with the all party Christian group. So this is supposed to be working across the parties up in Westminster and where is he? Is he speaking out to protect young children from this this sexualization policy? Maybe he is, but I haven't heard it. And uh, I'm told he goes and preaches in the churches sometimes, and I haven't heard about him talking about it there. So these people you be are getting... a Christian and go along with it. That that makes well, no sense. <laughs> I would say, is he a Christian? But but he but he he calls himself Christian and he takes this Christian stance. But when it comes to protecting the little children, I ask, where is he? Yeah. And this, of course, is 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 happening with all the MPs, and we know they're scared. I I on one occasion I went up to Westminster. This was to do with the child abuse issue, and I met uh, an MP. I'd arranged to go up and talk to him about what I knew was going on. And um, I went through security. I met the man in question in the foyer up, uh, up in Westminster. And, um, you know, as you do, you meet and greet. And then we're starting to walk. I'm just following him because I don't know where he's taking me. And I started to tell him some things that we found recently at that stage about the abuse of children. And he immediately said to me, um, uh, Brian, it's better if you don't say that. We need to go somewhere safe. And I'm thinking... I'm in Parliament and I've got an MP telling me it's not safe to talk about child abuse. And we ended up going off down some dim, dim dark cor corridor until we came into an area which he, he he seemed to think was safe to talk. But this was very interesting to me because why, why would we have to be concerned and who would we be worried about? Yeah. It's not like you're doing drug deals walking through the foyer. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the key bit. The MPs themselves know that they work in a system where there's control and there's control by fear. And if that's the case, it's not a democracy. And if we're not in a democracy, it's time the MPs woke up pretty quickly because they're, they're going to be collared with the rest of us. Yeah. Pat, have you got any words on this? Um, no, I just, I agree. I agree. You know, we know... Perhaps, again, it's about, like Brian said, it's, it's the same old thing in any part of this, really. You get one that gets pointed out and, you know, sort of demonised and whatever, and it puts the others straight in line. It happens in the medical industry. It happens everywhere. Do you know what I mean? So this is the problem we've got. But, you know, Brian, you're right as well. At the end of the day, they're going to get stung too. So, you know, the point, I think at this point, it is a, a you know, a waking still at this point. It's still a waking up exercise for enough people to realize how dangerous this is before we can move anywhere you know but again we're stuck in this system like you said Lou you know so we have to do that we don't we know we're not naive enough to know that MPs are going to be on our side you know I watched that from a with the glyphosate issue again so when I'd gone in and got him to, 
to when I was watching the council on like one of the you know meetings in their boardrooms pre doing anything about it, I listened to what the councillors that were present were saying about glyphosate, and there was this one councillor, and she was fairly elderly. And she kept going on and on about that it was a poison, right? She was definitely against it. Now, she was a Labour MP. She was definitely against it. When they came to debate it again, only because I released a transcript to the public because they weren't going to give us a debate, and they did after that, I watched her get up more. She abstained from it, you know? So I knew that she was against it, but she was pulled into that party line. So we're not naive enough to think that, you know, we're going to make a massive deal out of it, but we have to work with what we've got. And I think it's still a a waking up exercise and doing these things will wake people up. So, yeah, I totally agree with both of you. You've got to also remember the education has come from UNESCO as well. Yeah. The Economic yeah. Forum, Davos, these things are all discussed. Mm -hmm. And I saw a clip yesterday. <laughs> it's frightening. It's absolutely frightening of George Soros's son at Davos. Did you, I don't know if anyone saw it. He was on a uh, sit-down panel. Yeah, I did. It was just incredible. Absolute, incoherent babble. There was no, I don't know what a word. Oh, I haven't seen it. Is he another Biden then? He, he hasn't got a, you know, he does. No, he was umming. He, he could barely get. He couldn't um, than... uh, like, uh, you know, um, like, but whatever did come out between those things made zero sense. Zero sense. And this man, he's got other children. This is one of the sons who is going to be taking over. Yeah, it's, it's worrying. It's worrying, isn't it? Um, but he has in their hands the one of the biggest open society. It's the ones yeah. who pay Antifa. It's the one... They are disgusting. They, they, are, they are a movement, a progressive movement, Marxist, communist, whatever. And this guy has been left in charge. I will have to send it and I will I will send the link because there is a clip out there of this yeah, guy. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to um, see that. Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Um, well, um, uh, um, reassuring then, for goodness sake, it just gets worse by the day, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and then obviously we've got Greta over there. I've seen a really funny meme. It's cold because it's hot. Oh, yeah, I shared it the other day. And she's just, again, you know, the people with the glo the whole global, not to go off on a thingy, but that's all heavy at the moment in the schools, definitely. Yeah. Teaching them I, young. I just want to throw into the conversation because we're moving around quite a lot. But I know, for, sorry. For me... I can look on the internet and there are a lot of people talking about this country being broken. So mm. what they're recognizing is that um, we seem to be in, in, we seem to be in increasing chaos. Nothing seems to work properly. Um, people are just saying, you know, it's, it's mad. Whatever's, whatever's happening, whether, you know, we got, we don't know, we we don't know what a woman is. We don't know what a man is. Um, we've got to use language which is just ridiculous in order to describe people. Um, so they recognise that something's wrong, but they're saying the country is broken. And my response to this is no, not quite. It's not the country's broken. It is the country is being broken. 
because we we can look around in a number of directions and we can see policy coming in, which is sheer madness. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, the woke agenda and, and this complete nonsense that, you know, they're not two sexes. What what would people have said to this 30, 40, 50 years ago? They would have looked at the people, you know, talking about this sort of stuff and regarded them as completely mad. And they would have been yeah. right, of course. But we've got this policy coming in through the government, through the civil service and being pumped into schools through the Department of Education. And we're seeing breakdown. We're seeing breakdown in cities because you're not being allowed to drive a car and you can't cross up a, a certain street. So therefore you can't get to work. So we've got people trapped in urban areas now who are in a house they can't sell because nobody wants to buy it in a clean air zone. They can't get themselves to work because they can't drive a car from one zone to the other. Um, we've got electric vehicles which are clearly dangerous because of the amount of fire risk with them mm. and nobody wants to talk about the children digging all of the uh, the lithium and, and all the other um, elements out of the ground in horrific conditions um, we've got the the armed forces falling apart at the moment so we're having to advertise for an admiral to run the submarine service on linkedin um I won't mention the uh, mine hunters crunching in uh, the Middle East, but that's pretty spectacular. But we've got breakdown, but this isn't happening because people have suddenly changed. This is a result of policy which has come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is a mess and people are noticing it and they... They totally are. Well, Brian, thank you for today. I know it was a little bit all over the place, but it is about the nation. We have, you know, it was all linked, you know, um, because these global leaders are destroying our countries. We can, we do have an opportunity, I think, that we could change it, but we've all got to stand up and say enough is enough. Enough yeah. is enough. And put, put the people who are representing you and your area on notice. Yeah, this is Our true. One the only question you need to really ask and if they say yes then you can pretty much guarantee that they're going to fall into line with everything else yeah so that is the most important question our children are the most important subject Catherine and I and I know Brian won't we're never ever going to stop on about this we are never ever going to stop yeah I know we're not going to be able to eradicate child abuse forever but if everybody could just do a little something just by asking that question to their MP, how long does it take you of a morning just to send a little email? Please, can you give me your thoughts with the future election coming up? What are your thoughts on the, do you support the RSC education? That's it. Yeah. That's all you need to do one sentence and just yeah. let me or Catherine know info at liberty tactics.co.uk or cat K A T at libertytactics.co.uk or Lou, L-O-U, at Liberty Tactics, let us know. So then we can start putting together a map of the country and the constituents and just so people are aware that they're representative of how they feel on this education. Because if they do support it, you can pretty much sure 
they support the abuse of children basically yeah. because that's where this that's where this education goes yeah and lou if if i may um just little plug for ukcolumn.org and uh, i just want wanted to say there's there's two interviews that we've got up at the moment one is with a lady called sam from a lady from uganda who was trafficked into uk given given asylum and then had her children taken away um but also there's another interview uh, with a social worker called emma and i just wanted to mention this because sometimes people think that when you criticize social services you know, they think we're pointing a finger at everybody but we know there are good people but emma in the interview talks about what happened to her as a professional social worker when she tried to protect a little boy from abuse it is an unbelievable story where it ends up with her own social services the team that she worked with turned up on her door asking her questions about her own daughter and this was clearly wow. an attempt to get Warner off and how she describes the police failing to take any action on what she had to say as a professional right. witness in this case. It, it, it says so it all, Emma, it? Emma and Sam are the two stories. Um, if people do like to visit. I'll have a place. look I'll, and I can maybe link them. I can put the link down to them there. I must say, um, there are some people out there, this is this is still relevant, and I, I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but there are actual people out there that call, their kids are playing up, they're not coming home, they've had enough, and they end up calling social services themselves to have them help, and that they're all good, and it's just helping with their mental health, with Kafka. No, 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 no. Don't let them in. <laughs> you keep them out. You don't let them in. You well, don't there's... let them in. Um, Lou, there's two books that people might like to to read and uh one of them is forced adoption by a man called ian josephs that's a fairly short book but it's, Hang it's on, i'm about... gonna get that now to... Ian, ian's done a lot of work on this hasn't he over the years yeah, absolutely. what was his name and... ian jokely sorry Bri. ian joseph we'll try ian to get him on the show it's joseph's with an s on the end ian joseph j-o-s-e PHS forced adoption, right. and the other one is the Gulag of the Family Courts, and the little subtitle is "Guilty Even When Innocent," mm -hmm. and that's by a man called Jack Frost. And both of these books are warning and warning in great detail how the system really works and how dangerous it is for people, for parents, when they get engaged with this system. Yeah, I'll get Ian to come on the show, Kat. We'll have Ian on. Oh, brilliant. I have actually just, I've written both of those down in thing. I'm going to buy both of those. So thanks for those, Brian. Appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I think I think it's the Gulag of the Family Courts. I think in that book, it's a while since I've read it. But I think at one stage, it sort of says, when should you contact social services? And, and the advice is never. Yeah. Never. Of course, there are occasions when... That might not be correct, but this is, you know, a lot of detail in the book, a lot of cases. Um, it, it's not it's not a it's not a thin book. There's a lot of detail. Um, but two men absolutely warning about the dangers of this system. Um, and sorry, sorry, Lou, I 
just to mention this as well in, in Ian Joseph's book, I think it is, wait a minute. Um, he's talking about, yes, in, in page seven, he says, important news. Jack Straw, the Lord Chancellor, has announced his intention to change the fam the, to change the court rules so as to allow accredited journalists into family courts. This sounds welcome, even if few journalists would have time to attend most cases. It is the gagging of parents, not the media, that's so unjust. It seems certain, however, that adoption proceedings will still remain secret. Now, why why I've mentioned that is because in the last few days, the um, the head of the family law division, just looking to see if I can find this now. Yeah, here we are. Um, so this is, um, uh, bear with me a second. So this is a document where all of a sudden we say we're going to allow journalists into family courts and the boss is, is, um, uh, uh, saying the high court judge is saying that he's published, uh, sorry, he set up the transparency implementation group where it's going to oversee pilots of uh, uh, of um, journalists being allowed to go into family courts. But, of course, it's not that simple because the, the journalists are going to be specially mm. um, educated as to what they can and cannot report. And when you read through the document, you actually see that nothing is going to change except you're going to allow the journalists in, but they're not actually going to be allowed to report anything of substance to the public. And so the book Forced Adoption was getting excited that Jack Straw was going to do that. So that book was published in 2009. And here we are in 2024, where we're going round the boy again, um, because they know parents are starting to get suspicious as to what's actually going on in the courts. So that was the Right Honourable Sir Andrew McFarlan, President of the Family Law Division. So this is, you know, this is incredible stuff. Yeah, I'm going to order both of those and I'm going to read them both anyway because um, well, it's been quite insightful today, Brian, in all honesty. You know, there's, a, there's so much out there now and it is there's quite so much out there and it's been going on for so long, Kat. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I came to the column back in 2010 and I was seeing what Brian was was working on and I would read the letters I would do some research and I had no clue I had no because I'd only I'd only woken up in 2008 to, to, to over 9-11 you know and other things yeah. it's like this was a whole new and it was it it got so dark it was so dark the letters you hear, yeah. things that happen. I mean, you couldn't make it up. Some of the things that have happened to some good people, family yeah. people, um, it's shocking. So it Brian, is shocking. It's a really bloody good show, Brian. I can't yeah. thank you enough for coming on today. Um, I know we have talked about this subject tirelessly in the past, but that must be going back over a decade. And now, because of current events, regarding social services, taking kids, et cetera. I thought it was a very good, appropriate time to revisit it. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say, if you look in, in chat, I've sent you three images from, from those um, organisations that were getting... Yeah, I've got them. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've got them. Cat, if you want to have a look at those photos, you might want to grab them. The top. Yeah, one. I do want to. Have I'm going to use the photo that is for this show that I'm using of the men dressed that way. These are images from what Brian and what? I were discussing earlier about the weird amateur dramatics classes going on in little churches around the villages oh. of Wales back yeah. then. So that's it. So ukcolumn.org libertytactics.co.uk, exposingthelie.info. If you want to support us, as everybody knows, we've been banned from PayPal for coming up to two years now. Uh, we do have Buy Me A Coffee if you would like to support the work we're doing. We are totally self <clears throat> We don't do ads. We don't do clickbait. Everything that comes out of Liberty Tactics, we can document and show you the receipts of everything that we do so if you would like to support us please consider doing so you can send us some money by the bank or you can just buy us a coffee we would very very much appreciate that that's it thank you thank so much everybody thank God you Liz. Bye and we'll, we'll, we'll do this again brilliant thank you bye Kat. thanks bye bye bye